Uh, if you have Bibles with you, uh, open them to a book in the Old Testament. It's called Ecclesiastes. There's an interesting word, a name for you. Um, we also have some Bibles at the back table there, but you can use a phone, an app, a tablet if you've got that. might be good for you to have it this morning. I will put some of the verses on screen. We've been in a, the Gospel of Luke. We go through books of the Bible here as the Rock Church since last December 1st. And so we're taking a break over the summer. And I thought for the two weeks before Janice and I uh, head off for some vacation that we would do a... T- I'm calling that uh, mini-series uh, The Gift of Summer, right? Life's Times and Seasons. And so it's kind of appropriate, isn't it? We have arrived at summer, haven't we? It's kind of like July, August in, in Squamish. It's awesome. So let's get started this morning. Let me ask you a question as we begin this morning. How many of you here loves, love summer? Like, hands down, love summer. Come on, let's, let's be responsive. That's it? Okay, well, okay, that's quite a few. Good, good. Uh, that, that's the answer I expected. And, and how many of you would say that said that, that summer is the best season of all the seasons? How many? Oh, wow. Okay, th- this sermon outline is going right out the window, but that's kind of awesome. But we do live in Squamish, and there are people who like winter, right? Uh, so that's interesting. That's very interesting to see. And, and I also saw some of the people from Fresno, California going, well, it's summer all year down there, right? Pretty much, right? But, but also, I mean, obviously, we have, we have a summer period there, and certainly uh, summer is represented by the fact that there's no school. Amen? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, glad that's, hap- that's happening. So what we do is, you know, we enjoy and uh, we head off, and, and we, we go on vacations, we go camping, uh, some of us go to Bible camp, some of us come and do camps. That's what summers are for, right? Actually, that's what I want to think about today. I started thinking about this, actually, in my own life, probably about 10, 15 years ago. I don't know what came over me, but one day I was kind of like, maybe it was, you know, like I hit a particular number that has a zero after it in, in my birthdays, and I was like, I need to do the math. How many summers do I have left? Right? And, and then I, I did the math and I got depressed. Because, um, like, I, I, you know, the average male in, in Canada, the United States, lives until they're about 78, 80, 82 years of age, apparently. And in my family's genes, uh, maybe a little bit longer. I did the math and I was like, whoa. You know, so it's kind of scary. But then, then I realized, well, wait a second. You know, summer's just one season. And you multiply that times four. Well, I felt a little better. But still, I recognized that there are only so many summers left. And so what, what that happens in some of us, and some of you as you get older, this is going to happen to you. You're going to be going, well, if that's how many summers I've got left, I'm going to have to make the most of every summer. Especially if that season is the most important season in the life of your community and you. If that's your idol, if that's the... Oh, I used that word already, didn't I? I was going to save that for later. But if that's the big deal to you is summer... Yeah, it's going to be uh, something that you see that is fulfilled all the time. So it's interesting. It's pretty clear that I think what we saw here today, the majority of people would say that summer is a big deal. And I know living in British Columbia, we've camped for many, many years as a family. And uh, you know, here's what you've got to do, by the way, if you want some advice, if you're a camper in BC, you need to get in front of your computer on April 30th, just before midnight with your credit card ready, right? And, and you've got to be ready at the stroke of midnight to start reserving your campsites all over British Columbia. You know why? Because by April 15th, they're all gone. Right? There used to be a day when we used to go camping, you'd drive up and you know, you'd just get in line and you'd get a campsite. No more. 
And that's what it takes, really, to, to get a campsite in the summer. And so then what happens is you get your campsite, hopefully, and you get there, and of course, you know what's going on, right? The place is packed, right? So, and why is it packed? Because everybody has got the same idea, because it's summer, right? And then, you, you know, the bathroom lineup, shower lineup, you picnic tables by the water. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? But it's summer. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. We're all there. Yeah, and it's hot, and we're having a really, really good time. Janice and I figured out actually a few years ago, um, it's kind of an interesting thing. We realized, you know, um, fall and spring are actually really good for a specific reason. They're called shoulder season. You ever heard of that? Right? I mean, you, you know, you can go to Whistler in October and the Rimrock Cafe, f- free plug here, you know, like their dinner that usually would cost $100, $120, three-course gourmet meal for 49 bucks. They should give us a royalty for that, don't you think? But, but you can get that. And hotels are like a third of the price. And Tofino, same thing. You know, people love that. And, but that's shoulder season. That's just a little aside, just a little bit of advice for you. So summer can also be, listen, let's be honest here. It can also be uh, one of the worst seasons of the year for some people. I know people who suffer from allergies in a horrible way in the summertime, right? But also, let's also be honest, we live in a province with lots of trees, and there are things called forest fires. And remember a couple of summers ago, Janice and I were over on Saratoga Beach where we're going back to this summer and we're looking across the water at Powell River and the Sunshine Coast and just over the hills is Squamish and there's this big, big cloud of smoke. And it was here for almost a month, wasn't it? You guys remember that? That's not a fun summer. And listen, and if you're hoping that summer is going to be all that and you're not going away, you're thinking, I'm going to have a staycation in Squamish. That kind of takes the gloss off summer, doesn't it? And, and listen, we, you know what's going on in eastern Canada right now, in Toronto and in Quebec uh, City, Montreal. In the province of Quebec alone, over 35 people have died in the last two weeks from heat, exhaustion, and humidity. So summer's not great for everybody, but for most people, it's, like, it's, it's, it's really important that it live up to being the best season of the year. Amen? It's important. So how did our view of summer get this way? Do you know how it got this way? How did summer become, for most people, the big, the big season, the most important? I mean, you, you all realize from history that at one point in time, we were an agrarian society, right? You know, it was mostly people lived in rural areas, and everybody had a garden and animals, or, or your neighbor had a big farm and garden. And, and so the, the seasons were, we, we knew what those seasons were all about, right? But secondly, and most significantly, began to change with industrialization, and you guys all know that, right? What happened is, is the Industrial Revolution comes along, and young men and women are living in small towns are kind of hearing the buzz that, hey, small towns aren't that exciting, right? There's the city, and if we go to the city, we can get good-paying jobs. And so our society moved more to an urban culture and in urban places where, again, lots of people, very expensive, on and on it goes, but that was the draw. And then there was a third thing that came out of that. You know what it is? It's called schools. It's called our educational system that runs from when? From September to June, and then the kids are off. For what? Summer. So I like to put it this way, like we've replaced the farms out there where people grow stuff that we eat with a new kind of farm that's raising up people for the industrial machine. That's how we've ended up at 
summer the way we have it today. Just so you know, a little bit of history there. And that, that can create some problems, can it? Our modern culture, I mean, so what do we do? Here, here's the problem that we have, right? We know those who produce our food, and many of our green thumbs will know this, you plant in the spring, you plant in the spring because what? You're expecting a harvest in the fall. I mean, that's why you do that, right? You put the seeds in the ground, and, and then you wait for the harvest. But so what's summer for? If you're a farmer, I mean, what's, how does summer fit into that is a big question. What does the farmer or person who plants hope for? A harvest in the fall, but what do they do in the summer? Now, most of you are so far away from farm life, you're probably going, that's a good question. I don't know what they do, right? Uh, anybody? Okay, so, so I, I want to show you today that it's possible that it's possible that we've got it all wrong. Because what our culture tells us to do today and has, has taught us to think of summer uh, like is this. It's time to take, take time off from work, to take time off from toil, from sweat. And, and quite frankly, Christian, hear me today, some people have also got the idea that it's time to take time off from church and community and, as we've already heard today, mission. Is that God's idea for summer? That's what I want to look at with you today because I want to suggest to you today that God has a good purpose for summer, not just for the Christian, but for everyone. He, he has a good purpose for summer. He created the seasons. Solomon in Ecclesiastes is going to show us that today. And so summer is, I want to suggest to you today, and I hope you'll see, is one of the best seasons, Right? All the other seasons, fall, winter, and spring, are equally the best, at least in God's economy. We may have our favorites, but I want to encourage you today, be careful about that. Because what happens, you know what happens. When any of us make one thing really important, and it's so important to us that if we don't get our satisfaction and our joy and our fulfillment out of it, we're sad, we're depressed. Well, Christian, you know what that thing has become. I already gave it away earlier. It's become an idol, and it will disappoint you every single time. So let me read in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. I want to read the whole passage. This week, we're going to look at what Solomon has to say in Ecclesiastes, what God's Word has to say about the seasons within the year that come from this text, and then we'll look next week at the seasons in one's life because the text talks about both of those things I hope you will see. Let me read the whole text, then we'll unpack it today a little bit related to summer. Beginning in verse 1 to verse 13, we read in chapter 3, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. 
Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to know than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. And this is God's gift to man. Anybody recognize this song? I'm looking at some of the older people here. Come on. Listen to the words. Yes, that is The Birds from 1965. Anybody know the name of the song? Turn, turn, turn. Pretty obvious, right? <laughs> Pretty obvious. So, so here's the interesting thing, really. That song was written in 1965. That song basically is a song about this passage that I just read to you. Do you know how old that passage is? <laughs> the writing of Solomon? It's 3,000 years old. Now, I know there are people who, they, they look at a Bible and they go, listen, if you open it up, let's just do this. You know, let's put, because there's dust in it, right? It's so old, right? But here's what I want you to see today. I'm hoping you're going to see today that I have seen, and I think many other people have seen, is the Bible's incredibly relevant to today. And it's, not, it's because it wasn't just written by men, or, you know, it was written by and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so this is an amazing book. The book of Ecclesiastes is actually one of the most famous and quoted books of all of the Bible. And we just heard the bird song, right, that is really about this particular passage. But in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, the very first words that come out of that first chapter, and there are these words, and all of you have heard these words before. There is nothing new where? Under the sun. Like, where did you hear that? People say that all the time. It's like a saying when something comes along, right, and it's like, well, there's nothing new under the sun. Seen that before, right? Got the t-shirt, whatever, right? I started many years ago in the field of marketing and advertising, and there was a man uh, who basically was the father of modern-day Madison Avenue advertising. His name was David Ogilvie. And uh, he borrowed this phrase, uh, and when he said, and he was quoted, and it's a famous quote, all advertisers and marketing guys and gals know this quote. He said this when he was asked to define advertising. He said, advertising is 98% creativity, 2% plagiarism. And the other way around, isn't it? 98% plagiarism, 2% creativity, there is nothing new under the sun. He was actually the guy who came up with that saying for Tide Soap, new and improved. <laughs> nothing new under the sun, never mind. It's an old story. But I, I say that to let you know that this book is incredibly relevant. So uh, uh, the author was King Solomon. He was a, a real man, a historical man. You can read about him, not only in the Bible, but in historical documents. He was the second king of Israel after his father, King David. Uh, he wrote another book of wisdom. Ecclesiastes is considered wisdom you, Most of you Sunday school Christians know that the other book that he wrote is... Proverbs, the great book of, of wisdom. And he wrote that. But Ecclesiastes really is 
most interesting work. And, and, and many would say, and it is shockingly relevant to today. We went through it four or five years ago as a church, went through the whole book. And there's two or three chapters where people come up to me afterwards and were saying, that was painful. <laughs> Not because of me, okay? But it's painful because it's so realistic to where we're at in our world today. People were like, oh, it's like darts going through you, convicting you. Like, oh, that's me. They're talking about me right there, right? So it's really relevant even though it's been written so long ago. Now, the background of the book is really interesting. Solomon is a king only for a few months, and he actually starts out really good. He's a very humble man, uh, and, and he realizes that he's taken over from David, like the revered King David. And he's like, how can I do this, right? And so he's very humble, and, and God recognizes in his spirit that he's humble, and he doesn't know how he's going to do this job. So God actually appears to him, and he says this to him. He says, ask me for anything you want, and I will give it to you. Hmm. Can you, would you like God to come to you and ask you for that? Because like, it's like the ultimate pinata, right? I mean, he was, it was a genie moment, right? And, and God doesn't do that regularly. Just so, don't pray for that, trust me. But, but he did that for Solomon. And it's interesting. Solomon's response to him was this. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may, may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? So, so again, Solomon shows humility there, doesn't he? He's like, the, this, I need wisdom. I need knowledge to, to lead and guide your people. Well, God is, I would suggest, impressed with his humility. But then God responds this way, and I'll put it on screen for you. He says this, because you didn't ask for wisdom, knowledge, and look at this, and long life, every Israelite, every Jewish person wanted to ask for wisdom and, and prosperity and long life, because you didn't ask for that, I will give you wisdom, knowledge, but also wealth, possessions, and honor, so much so, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will ever have. Stories that are told about Solomon uh, further on in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, but also in the New, declare quite clearly that he was, in fact, the wisest man who ever lived, other than the God-man Jesus, obviously, but also the richest man who ever lived. So you think of the richest people in the world today? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Solomon had much more wealth, even considering the amount of wealth that was available in that world at that time. But here's what happened. Years later, Solomon lost his way. Uh, It would appear that all of the wisdom and the knowledge, more so than anyone else, but all of the wealth... It went to his head. And so despite being the wisest and richest man to ever live, he decided he was going to set his godly wisdom aside for a period of time, and he was going to conduct an experiment. And that experiment was based on this. His attitude was for the next, and he, and he went about it for 40 years. What he was going to do is set it aside, and he was going to see, see if this was possible, to have an exciting, fulfilling, joyful life and purposeful life in this world today without God. And so that's why when you read in his book, oftentimes you're going to see him using the phrase under the sun or under heaven, because in Hebrew language, the colloquialism of that was that that literally means, okay, like God is above, God is in heaven, and under that is just us, and there's no God, and and so we live as if there is no God. And so that's what he's using that language for. And so it's interesting, this book, Ecclesiastes, is his report. After his 40-year experiment, he writes this book as a report of his experiment 
for the Jewish people, but also for you and I today. It's amazing if we view it that way, because that's exactly what it is. And so after 40 years of giving himself to a constant summer, that's what his life was like, he came to this conclusion. This was his conclusion as you read through Ecclesiastes. It's futile. He uses words like meaningless, vapor, my favorite, chasing after the wind. This is his conclusion. So there are two things that are important for us to know from this experiment and his conclusions as we look at our subject of summer today, right, in his words. And number one is this. We need to understand that Solomon really gave himself to this experiment. And, and on top of that, he had all of the resources and tools to do it better than any of you ever will, any of us ever will. He gave himself to this. He built numerous palaces, summer resorts, really. All of them were in summer resort areas. Go figure. Why wouldn't you do that, right? He built unbelievable, beautiful palaces. He planted immense gardens all over the place, all kinds of gardens. He planted vineyards. I mean, the Okanagan, forget it, five times the size of the Okanagan. He planted vineyards all over the place. He had 700 wives and 100 concubines. So that tells us that he also gave himself to something else, right? He's obviously a crazy man. I mean, it's crazy. He, had, he possessed thousands of exotic animals and herds of animals. All of his uh, utensils and glasses and chalices and all of his palaces in all of his homes were made of 100% pure gold. There is, is that he gave himself to it in such a way that you would think that the experiment would be, if you had all of those resources, the way I would look at it is, if I had all of that, man, who needs God? Life would be pretty good, wouldn't it? It's not what he found. It was empty. It was meaningless. Just in the last six weeks, we've lost two very popular people in our world, Anthony Bourdain, the, the food critic and the food traveler, right? 63 years of age, and he took his own life. Kate Spade uh, built a brand around purses to begin with, but at 55 years of age, she took her own life. Many, many people find that even with great success and great popularity, it's not enough. And this is what Solomon's trying to get across. But secondly, the other reason why he wrote this book it was, really, it was really a book of posterity, I guess we could say, so that you know, his people and you and I would have it and we'd be able to learn from his lessons. But it was also because of this. It was because of prosperity. In, in those days, the people of Israel were really, really doing well. And, and what Solomon saw and what he was worried about in his own people was that they're living the high life. They're not coming to temple. They're not worshiping God. They're not keeping the Sabbath. They're not acknowledging him whatsoever. They're enjoying their wealth. And that's one of the reasons why he wrote this book. So that's important for us to see this. They're experiencing great prosperity, and they've forgotten the blessings of God. Anyone ever worn that T-shirt <laughs> or thought of wearing that T-shirt from time to time? Let's unpack what he had to say for us and see what it has to say about the purpose of summer this morning. The first two verses say this. He wrote... There we go. For, see, there we go. For everything, look at this, the word everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, 
a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up. A good translation of that might be a time to reap, right? Most of you heard that before. What is planted? So beginning in the first two verses and for the first eight verses, he uses the word time 28 times. See what I did there? <laughs> time 28 times. So like, there's a lot of rep- repetition there. And for very good reason, there's a lesson here. He begins by telling us that there is a time and a season, and I love this, for everything. You know, some of us go through life and it's like, yeah, I I don't really want a time and a season for that. Thank you very much. But more of this, please. I want more of that season, not so much of that season. And we'll see a lot of that next week when we look at seasons in our lives and how this passage teaches us about that. And so where is this time and season? Well, it's under heaven, which literally means down here, human life, apart from God, again, is what he's saying. But look at the two great great bookends. I love the way he he uses in this first two verses two bookends, right? There's a time to be born and a time to die. Any questions about that? (laughs) Like, those are bookends, right? But then there's also a time to plant and a time to pluck up or to reap. But the question has to be, what's going on in between? right? And and this contrast is there really on purpose. It's really well done. It's on purpose. Now, in the first part, we know that what goes on in between when we're born and when we die is what? Life, (laughs) right? But what kind of life? And again, that's what we'll see next week. Then there's the bookend of what goes on between when we plant and when we reap. You can see, obviously, in these few two verses here, the reference to the yearly cycle of winter, spring, summer, and fall, right? Through the planting and, 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 and the, the harvesting, but also the cycle of life, which, again, we'll dive into more or less next week. So, obviously, life is what happens between the time when you were born and when you die, and that is what we'll speak to. But what happens between the two in the cycle of planting and harvesting? Well, the obvious is, what would you say? What happens between planting and harvesting? <laughs> you guys are good. That's, that's only half the answer, but we'll get there. So remember, remember this. Solomon, he's giving us a report. The conclusion to his 40-year experiment that would be a complete waste of his life if he had not come to his senses and realized his futility in time, at least to warn us, his conclusion to all of these 28 times was interesting. His conclusion was not only that doing this, trying to do this apart from God was futile, meaningless, and chasing after the wind, but he realized that there is something above man and that these 28 times are God and that the person in control of time all the time is God. Not you, not me, even though we try to time management. No, we're not. Anybody here... Were any of you in control of the time that you were born? <laughs> Would some of you like to be born at a different time of the month? Or, like, nobody on the planet. I mean, you can plan to have kids. In, in our church, people are they're not even planning. They're just having them. Lots of them, right? It's crazy in this church, right? Go forth and multiply. We take the Bible literally. There you go. But, but seriously, uh, <laughs> I don't know. So, so he sees this very clearly as, look, God is the one. We don't choose when we're going to be born. We don't choose when we're going to die. Now, some people would say, well, those two people who took their own lives that I spoke about, well, they did. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They may think they did, but don't be mistaken. God is the one that is in control of all time. I mean, our problem as human beings is, no, we want to be in control of time. 
right? So listen, you can go ahead and try and plant tomatoes outside, hear me, in January in Squamish, go for it. You know, go for it, you know. Now I know if you've got a greenhouse and you... But, but the reality is we, we, we try to sometimes wedge in, force things. So the reality is we all struggle with this, don't we? We want to do what we want, when we want, and the, wor- and the world, quite frankly, that we live in today makes it all the more possible than in the past. And so we need to be careful about that. But then sometimes we try to force the issue, wanting to do what, we, what, what we want to do in the wrong season, and hear me, it just leads to frustration, doesn't it? Including the frustration of expectation that this summer, <laughs> it's going to be the best. Yeah, it's going to be the best. So Solomon ended chapter 2 with these words I want to show you this morning, which will lead us to God's purpose for summer. And I love this. He said this in Ecclesiastes 2.24. He said, there is nothing better. He, now, you've got to remember, this, this wisest man, he's coming back to his senses now as he's writing this report, and, and he's, he's saying there's nothing better. These are adamant words. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, too. For a person, then that he or she should eat and drink and find enjoyment in all of his or her toil. So yeah, eating, eating and drinking is there. We love it. That's great. But this toil thing and it, it, this work thing keeps getting repeated too. This also, I saw, look at, is from the hand of God. Now again, those of you who have been to Sunday school and got your flannel graph uh, you know, check boxes, and you, you'll know that uh, Genesis 1 and 2 talk about what? God planted a what? He planted a garden, remember that? In Eden, and he put Adam and Eve in the garden, and then he gave them what? Work to do. See, we, we lose this half the time. You know, we, we see the Sabbath, God rested on the seventh day, and Sabbath, and he was like, hey, it's all. Okay, so, but Monday to Saturday, it's back to work. Right? He gave us the garden, he gave us his creation to, to tend, to care for, but also to sustain us. But we learn in the lesson of Genesis 1 and 2 that we were designed, kids, we were designed to work. We were not designed for leisure. We were designed to work. There's nothing better but to find enjoyment and fulfillment from everyday life, from food, drink, and work, he says. And then he follows that up here in in chapter 3, which we've already read, which he says this. He says, what gain... I'm going to buy a new clicker. What gain? <laughs> what gain? Are we there? Yes, we are. What gain has the worker from his toil? The worker from his toil. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. If you're going to take one verse away today, please take that verse with you. Okay? That's the key verse, really. So now, as we will see again next week in the conclusion to this whole book, it, it is the answer to uh, what is gain. So, so Solomon, actually, you've got to go to near the very end, and he basically says, what is the gain of all of our toil and all of our efforts in this life? You're going to love this. <laughs> Does anybody know what the conclusion is? Nothing. There's no gain. In fact, all those times, if you read them again, they cancel each other out. There's no gain from anything that we have done apart from what God does in our lives. But he's also encouraging us that it is God, again, who is in control of everything, and that everything that he's made every season and time is not just good, but it's beautiful. 
Now, I, I know, trust me, I know people who struggle with various seasons and so on and that and so forth. So what are we going to do with that? Well, we'll look at that a little bit more next week because of the seasons of life, but simply to say this, God says there's beauty in them. Look for it. <laughs> look for it in the midst of struggle, in the midst of the rain when it comes. We've got to look for it because His beauty is there. So fall and, yes, even winter as well as spring are equally beautiful in their time. He repeats himself for emphasis when he concludes with these amazing words. He says, I perceived that there is nothing better. Again, he's repeating himself. Better for them than to be joyful. Joyful. That word, by the way, in the Hebrew language is persistently. In all things, like the Apostle Paul would say. Be joyful, right? And do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in his or her toil. This is God's gift to you. I think it's amazing. So wisdom has taught him that, look, nothing is better than to be about God's business. So, so Christian, what does that look like? Are you about God's business? this year? Have you been about God's business this year? Like in, in the season of planting, you've been planting some seeds. Well, this past week, uh, the team from Fresno and many rocksters, we've been planting seeds. The question is, what are we going to do with those seeds that are planted over the summer? If, if we're hoping for a harvest in the fall, that's a pretty important question. There we have it. There, there's this business and that is work. It's beautiful as he puts it to us. Uh, underline the words in your Bible if you, if you haven't already. Take pleasure. I don't know. Come on. <laughs> I, I was helping move a bunch of bark mulch for my wife who's into permaculture. Please pray for me. You know, like bark mulch over to the beds and over there. And it was like, it was like 29, 30 degrees the other day. And like I moved four loads and like I'm sweating like crazy. And it's like 1.30 in the afternoon. And I'm saying, honey, this is, this is not safe to be doing this. She gave me 20 minutes off and a glass of water. It's really great. But we're, we're pretty wimpy when it comes to that, aren't we? We, we, we? we don't see our work and our toil in the way that we should. It's God's gift to you, by the way, this summer, is work. It's God's gift to you. So, What's our conclusion today? I want to bring this to a, a conclusion for you, so a little bow on it, so we can take something here today and go, yeah, that's what summer is. I'm really going to enjoy summer this year. What's our conclusion? We know that summer, look, is in between the planting and the reaping, and that God has a purpose for it. But what in our urbanized world today could that possibly be? I mean, you're not agrarian. Some of you are green thumbs. Good for you. Speak to my wife. It's all great. But what could it possibly be that summer is for? It, it really comes down to one word. Anybody know what that one word is? What is summer for, both in the agrarian world and in the world that God has created for all of us? The one word is growth. It's growth. Summer's the time for growing. We want to disconnect and rest and lie on a beach. Not much growing going on there. And if you've planted anything at home, it's wilting because you're not watering it. Yeah, I can see some of you have got the t-shirt. It's good. It's good. So let me give you a couple of applications maybe you can take with yourself today. Do you remember Jeremiah 29? Those of you who are Bible scholars, you've all heard it. So it's, it's quoted all the time, out of context, 
I, I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans to prosper you and give you a great life. Right. It, it's being given to the people in Babylon who are in exile, who, who he's saying, I want you to die there for the next 70 years. And what does he tell them to do? Besides die there until I come 70 years from now. I want you to seek the welfare of the city and in its welfare you will find your welfare. And, and here's what I want you to do. Build houses and what? Plant gardens and have babies. We're doing pretty good on a couple of fronts here at The Rock, right? But what about that garden thing? So, so listen, yeah, it's plant a garden. We have community gardens here. Plant a garden. It'll teach you a lot of lessons, Christian and non, about God's plan for summer because you'll work it. You'll tend it. Um, I want to know the difference between recreate and recreation. You see, we've totally taken that word, the original meaning of that word in North America, and turned it into something it doesn't mean. We've turned it into recreate, recreation, right? Which is like lying on a beach, or mountain biking, whatever it might be. It's all good. Please don't hear me. It's all good for a time and a season, right? But the reality is the word is recreate. How do you recreate? Get back into a work mode so that you're creating and, and pushing forward? You do need times of rest, And so that's another thing that we can do in the summer that we should be doing. You should be taking a Sabbath rest one day a week, not just because the Bible tells you so, and it's a commandment, but because it's good for you. Stop working one day a week. And it would make sense in the summer if you can afford it and your work will allow it. Take a couple of weeks and rest. Like really rest. Don't mountain bike every day for six hours. That's not rest. 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 Now, how about this? How about getting some books while you're on that rest or even throughout the summer and grow yourself spiritually or in your walk with God or in your work? Grow. Use the time for growth. And lastly, how about rather than thinking missional community groups have quit for the summer, woohoo, rest, disconnect. No. How about the planting that's been going on? How about you invite your neighbors in your community who you haven't had a chance to hang out with much because they're not coming to church or to your missional community group, but you could have them to your place for a barbecue, couldn't you? And help them grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ through their relationship with you? I can see the, the wonderful faces. Or you could go on a mission trip. There's so many other things that you could do that would help you grow and continue. So, Christian, I want to say this. Summer is both a time for your spiritual growth, but also preparation for a fall harvest, right? It really is. So my question is, have you planted? Are you watering? Will you see a harvest this fall? Will we see a harvest? Finally, Solomon teaches us that God's timing is perfect. That's, I think, the lesson from today. God's timing is always perfect. He created the heavens and the earth exactly when he intended to. He gave birth to Solomon exactly when he intended to. And he let him go about his 40-year experiment exactly as he wanted him to. And then he motivated him to write the book at the same time. He has given his creation times and seasons for a purpose. But I would suggest to you that... His timing could not have been more perfect than he went when he sent Jesus Christ into this world. Amen? The Apostle Paul gives us these words from the book of Galatians in the New Testament. He says this, 
But when this, look at, the fullness of time had come, meaning when the fullness of God's plan with the people of Israel in the Old Testament, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions, adoption as sons and daughters of God. So friends, really today, we are in a season between the coming of Jesus and the coming again of Jesus. You do realize that. That's the season that we are in. We're in that time frame. And the question is, before you die, we all in this room will die, or before he comes again, will he become your Lord and Savior? Will you recognize God in all of time and all of the plans that we see? Jesus actually gave us some wonderful words that I'll leave you with that were signs of the times and a hint, a hint to you and I about when he would come again. And he said this, um, I've taken these words from Mark 13, 28, where he said this, from the fig tree, he's walking into Jerusalem, and the week before he's about to be crucified, and he points to a fig tree and he says, learn its lesson. As this branch becomes tender and puts out his leaves, you know that summer. This life today, in this world today, that, the, that there's a perfect summer in human life, get over it. There isn't. But the perfect summer that you may have had, and hopefully you will have some perfect summers in your life, is a picture of the perfect summer to come. Amen? when we are with him, when he establishes his kingdom and his once and for all. Pray with me, would you?